Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. So let's stand together, and we're going to look at uh, 3 John. Um, back toward uh, the book of uh, Revelation, toward the end of the New Testament. Uh, Third John, just before Jude, then, then Revelation. Very short book, uh, doesn't, has one chapter, and we're going to read the entire chapter. Uh, Fifteen verses uh, today for the message. <clears throat> Starting at verse 1. It says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with them. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. For one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we are our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture. And we thank you, Lord, for faithful brothers who so long ago uh, did put pen to paper and began to write, both for the benefit of the early church and for our benefit as well. God, we thank you for those who endured, who endured such hardship for our benefit. And we rejoice, Lord, in the words which are shared to us this morning in this reading of Scripture. God, I thank you so much for your blessing and goodness. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be a united body, serving one another in love. I thank you for it, and I thank you for the move of your precious Holy Spirit today. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen and amen. Now, before you're seated, I want to encourage you to greet one another in the name of the Lord. Amen. Share a hand of fellowship, shake hands, and greet one another in the name of the Lord. Nicole, can you join me a minute? Take the mic here, please. <clears throat> We're not going to tell you anything. She doesn't know why she's coming, but I need her help uh, to help me. 
because I'm not a singer. <laughs> Please, I want to set our hearts toward the word of the Lord, all right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for his goodness. <clears throat> We've been working through a series over the last several weeks, uh, speaking about really what we see as foundational elements of uh, the church, this particular church, and uh, asking uh, the Lord to work through these things to help us speak into our community, make a difference in our community. Uh, we've talked about uh, how we will be a church that focuses on what we're doing today, and that is worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. That together, uh, one of the foundational elements of this church is that we are a people that has our sole focus and sole purpose is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. As our brother Tom prayed this morning, uh, we desire to live joyfully before the Lord. That doesn't mean that everything is always going to be perfect, but what it me does mean is that we believe in the delivering power of God and the power of God to work through community to help us live together in joy before the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we talked about finding purpose, that each one of us has a purpose in the plan of God, both for this church and for this community. God has a purpose for you and God has a purpose for me. And some of us are, or all of us are pieces of the puzzle. Some of us may be that missing piece of the puzzle. And so each one of us has a part to play and each one of us help to lock together with other people in order to faithfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally today, uh, I see that one of the foundational elements of the church is the opportunity that we have when we are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're living joyfully before him in community, when we find our purpose of how we fit in the puzzle, and we, then we are equipped uh, to be able to serve others within the body of Christ. And I believe many passages of Scripture could talk to us about that, but I believe the Lord has led us to 3 John today for a specific reason. 
Third uh, John is written uh, by John the Apostle, and he is writing this letter to a gentleman named Gaius in order for Gaius to receive a traveling preacher named Demetrius. So the letter is kind of going along to sort of pave the way for Demetrius, who is most likely not known by Gaius, to uh, be received by him into the fellowship of the church. And so John probably felt the need to appeal directly to Gaius in order to receive Demetrius, specifically because there was a man in the church named Diotrephes who did not extend a welcome or love to the traveling brethren, and he sought to excommunicate those who otherwise would have received the traveling uh, brethren. And John, in this very, very short letter, uh, gives us a sense of of what he is trying to communicate here, particularly to Gaius, and that is do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Don't imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. And John shares as he works that idea out that that which is good is found in the joy of serving others. If we don't have joy in serving other people, But joy, if there's not a joy within our heart of serving other people for believers, that ought to be a warning sign. That ought to be a warning sign to us. If there's not joy in our heart at offering love, service, and kindness to others. Jesus himself, as the visible representation of God, God incarnate, came to serve. He says in Luke 22 and 24, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The example of our Lord points us to this idea and understanding that we are to serve others. And in serving others, we ought not grow weary because Jesus did not grow weary. Jesus did not grow weary of serving others. Even in times when Jesus pulled away and he was alone to pray, he did so with the goal and focus and purpose of serving others. In all the letters that John has written for our benefit, John was concerned that the truth would be lived out in love. When we accept God's truth, we accept the relationship with Jesus, we want to live faithfully before Jesus, then we have to put action behind that. It's not simply a mental ascent. It is, it is an ascent of the mind and of the heart, but it also pushes us to action in order to serve. The gift of salvation, what God has given to us, is a motivator for us to serve. If you and I were to step outside this afternoon and I was to give you a new car with a full tank of gas, which may be more expensive than the car itself, (laughs) we wouldn't just sit there and stare at it. It is a gift to be used, a gift to be put into service, to get into, to actually turn the key to press the accelerator and move forward. A gift in order to be used for a purpose. God has called us into his kingdom in order that we might be a blessing to others. When we look at 
the letter of 3 John, there are four individuals who are part of this letter. We've got John, the writer, uh, refer to him as the encouraging elder. Gaius, who is the faithful brother. Diotrephes is the prideful meddler. And Demetrius is the welcome stranger. I think each of these will teach us something about what it means to serve. John, the encouraging elder, John's example teaches us that true biblical service begins in gospel love. John loved Gaius in the truth. John's love for Gaius is a genuine love that is in accordance with God's truth. It is not based on what Gaius could do for John. John's joy in Gaius' present condition finds its substance in verse 3. For I was overjoyed when the brothers came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in the truth. Gaius, I'm happy. My joy in you is because you're walking with Jesus. John sees Gaius' acts of service as very special, specifically because they are rooted in the gospel. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Not just any truth, but gospel truth. In essence, what John is saying is, the thing that I'm most moved by is when believers serve, when they're acting out the gospel, not what they, for what they can get out of it, but because they desire to serve and their hearts and minds have been transformed by the gospel. And this is just what they do out of a passion for the message of the cross. Serve. Scripture shows us again and again and again that God desires service as a means of exalting the gospel. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights of the world. In essence, what Paul is saying to the Philippian churches, I want you to serve and I want you to do it out of a heart of joy and love. Don't do it with complaining. Don't do it with bitterness. Don't do it with arguing, but shine out as lights in the world. See, Christians who are serving, this is one of the marks of Are we serving out of gospel motivation, out of our love for Jesus, out of of our desire and passion for the message of uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we serving out of that overflow of abundance? One of the measures that we can kind of look at to see if that's happening is what's coming out of our lips while we are serving. Is it grumbling and complaining? Is it arguing and bitterness? John tells us that if our service begins in gospel love, we can accomplish even the most menial tasks with a heart of joy. Even the most menial task can be accomplished with a heart of joy. The next individual that we look at or meet in this story is Gaius, who is the faithful brother. His example teaches us that biblical service is based in action. And you look in verses 3, 4, and 5, and you see that there are a lot of action words. Verse 3, John says, walking in the truth. Walking is moving, 
moving. He says it again in verse 4, walking in the truth. You are walking in the truth. Verse 5, you are acting faithfully. Movement. Again in verse 5, whatever you accomplish doing something. Gaius not only believed the gospel, but he acted faithfully on the gospel towards other people. He believed it, but he also acted it out towards others. And Gaius's actions of biblical service were worthy of praise by John in that they were done for the brethren, believers, the church. While as a church, our kindness ought to shine out to all people, it is most brightly displayed in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Our acts of service, while they shine brightly into the world, they shine most brightly when they are done to brothers and sisters in this church. You're part of a local church. I'm part of a local church. Because we're part of a local church, our acts of service actually shine most brightly when they are done to the people in this room. Not just out there somewhere. But when we have brothers and sisters who we're in fellowship with and we see a need and we act in service towards them. John praised Gaius for his acts of faithful service done in the church. He was faithful in what he did for the church. And he was especially faithful in helping those in the church who were strangers. So this would have been kind of traveling preachers or evangelists that would have been coming through. And this would include later when we meet Demetrius, who was probably a stranger to Gaius, but commended to him by John. Gaius had a good testimony among those who were Christians passing through because they testified of Gaius's love before their own local church. So we would illustrate it like this. Someone would say, or contact maybe me or one of the other uh, brethren in the church and say, there's someone that I know who is a preacher or a teacher of the word. And I would commend them to you that if there's opportunity for you to receive them into your fellowship, we would receive that one into our fellowship who would be a faithful brother or sister who may come and share the word of the Lord to us and do it heartily. And then that one would go back to their church and say, the love of those people at Riverstone was amazing. See, this is what was happening as John was sending people here and there. Missionaries were traveling. Evangelists were going and they would pass through the church where Gaius was. They would come back and they would say, you do not believe this guy, Gaius. He takes care of all of our needs. He's managing everything for us. He's showing us love because he loves the gospel. He had a good testimony. And John encouraged Gaius to not only continue in love, exemplified by deeds, but also then to support those who were advancing the gospel. 
And the purpose of this was to help those brethren who were passing through to continue to push forward the edge of the gospel in the known world. And what John says, because you're helping these brothers who are out here on the front line, who kind of passed through your church and are now heading on to the next place where they're evangelizing or preaching or sharing, because from your church, you are taking and you're helping them. What you're doing now is you're actually participating in what they're doing on the front line. This is why it's important for us to think about the missionaries and evangelists that are doing the gospel work and help to support those who are out on the front line because that's just like you and me being out on the front line. And we always want to think of that in terms of money, and it is in terms of money because money's the hardest thing for us to get rid of, but it's also in terms of time and prayer. Remembering people so that they are not forgotten. We have missionaries who call this church their fellowship, their home, who are out on the front line that we don't get to see very often. And so we can't forget them. We have to remember, we have to support, we have to pray. Gaius' example is one of faithfulness in action. He effectively helped people in the church when they were together and what John commends them about his love for the brethren and what's happening in the brethren, with the brethren. He effectively helped people in the church because he knew people in the church. See, we all need help. There's none of us who don't need help. There's none of us who are self-made people who are doing it on our own, going to make our own way. We all need help help. And Gaius was willing to help both those in the church and those brethren who he did not know. The early church, they saw a, an example of people who would travel through that would be supported. They saw the example and they affirmed the example of the gathered assembly of believers loving and caring for one another. But it has to be in the context of knowing one another. One of the words most used for Jesus' relationship with his disciples is a deep and personal knowing of who they were. Kind of knowing their inner being, knowing what, what, what they really were on the inside. That personal, that's how God wants us to know him. That very personal, connected knowing. But that's also how God wants us to know one another in this room. To know one another such that we can faithfully serve one another when the need comes up. Wouldn't it break our heart this morning if there's someone in this fellowship, someone who's hearing this message this morning, who is struggling and wounded and nobody knew it? It would break my heart. If there was someone here this morning who was off all alone and felt like nobody cared when there was a room full of people who would care if they just knew. But our society and our culture has trained us to be people who keep all of our problems private. We kind of, everything's private. 
This is the facade Robert, but no one really gets on the inside of who Robert really is and maybe the struggles that Robert is having. Because if you actually knew what was on the inside, then you may wound me or I may get hurt worse. And so it takes some vulnerability on my part to kind of open up and sort of share some things. But it also takes some opportunity on your part then that if I've shared that you're not going to come back and kind of, you know, that little back with the knife kind of thing. Right? So that's why we all kind of close it off because we don't want to be more wounded. So I just kind of show what I want you to see and we won't have real fellowship while on the other side, here I am dying. And we come to church every Sunday and we sing songs, we lift our hands and we go home back to our dead selves because we're not willing to be open and share, hey, this is what is going on in my life. But how do we do that? How do we have those opportunities? We have to have those opportunities by getting together in groups of people. And I'm not trying to promote a ministry here uh, as such, but the reason we try to have groups of people get together is so that we all can be known by somebody. That there is a fellowship, there is a small group, there is a, a, a network of people that know you in such a way that when you start to get downcast or downtrodden or when something begins to happen, they see it. I need someone to speak into my life to say, Robert, you're beginning to get off track here and you need to come back in. You need to get your mind straight. Someone's got to be able to notice it. But if it's all only what I'm willing to kind of mask up for you to see, we kind of hide. And then when things finally just collapse on the floor, we're like, hmm, I didn't see that coming. Well, of course you didn't see it coming. So, Pastorally, I will tell you what this takes sometimes from you and from me. It takes a willingness for us to be vulnerable again and again and again, even when it goes bad, be, being vulnerable with people. It also takes prayer to begin to poke some people who are hard as a rock. They, I'm going to keep, even though you keep wanting to deck me, <laughs> I'm going to kind of push into you a little bit here because there's got to be some openness because you too are created in God's image. Yes, Lord. We must be a church. Riverstone must be a church that's characterized by gospel love and action. We have to be. Otherwise, we're just a social club. And this happens by knowing one another. You know, <clears throat> most of the needs that I find out about, I find out about through someone else. So in this fellowship, it's not always directly someone coming to me saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. It's I find out about it in a roundabout way. And that creates a problem, too, because sometimes it's said, so-and-so has a need, but don't tell them I told you. <laughs> So then I'm like, well, what do I do? <laughs> I want to help. <laughs> I want to I be present, but how can I help? 
And the other thing is, I don't know if someone doesn't tell me. So you may be struggling, and it's not that I need to know everything. I don't need to know everything. But if you tell me I want to get you help, but someone needs to know. Someone needs to know. And I would just say this this morning to you, never struggle alone. Please don't struggle alone. Amen. Don't walk through a journey alone. There are people here who will, who will love you and help you. This is what the body of Christ is about. We've got to be the real body of Christ. Uh, we're not going to be a fake body of Christ. We've got to be a real body of Christ here. And so we're going to walk with people through the journey. We said from the beginning, we want to see God work in the broken. And so sometimes broken people bite. Just know that. Sometimes broken people bite. And you know what? You keep, you keep loving them anyway. You keep loving anyway. Look at what Jesus did. Look at the life of Jesus and what, how Jesus lived. He continued to love people who didn't get it right time and time and time again. Gaius was willing to put himself on the line for the benefit of the church. The next person in the story that we come to is Diotrephes, uh, who is the, the prideful meddler. Diotrephes' example teaches us about abusive leadership that preys on good gospel intentions for the purpose of self-promotion. Well, we, what we need to see here, John mentions Diotrephes because Diotrephes is in the church. He's in, he's in the church. He's recognized at a le- as a leader, or at least saw himself as a leader, because he assumed some measure of control within the church. He saw himself in the place of authority. Verse 9 says, John says, he does not accept what we, the apostles, say. Verse 10 says he unjustly accuses John and other leaders with wicked words. He's a gossip. Diotrephes was a gossip. He was not simply passive in his sin, but he was aggressive and seeking to make the church in his image to the point of even putting people out of the church who did not agree with him. John says that Diotrephes loved to be first. He did not accept leadership. He needed to be called out. He made unjust accusations. He did not receive the brethren. He, re- he refused other people from receiving the brethren. And he put faithful brothers out of the church. And John contrasts the faithful service of Gaius with the abusive leadership of Diotrephes. In verse 11, that's the focus of this letter. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Do not be like Diotrephes. Do not be tempted to be like him. Do not try to kind of hoard it up for yourself and put yourself in a place of leadership. But continue to serve others, Gaius. Don't be like Diotrephes who's trying to set himself up as the man. Verse 11, John goes on and says, the one who does good is of God and the one who does evil has not seen God. Gaius is acting Christ-like in a sacrificial way. Therefore, he is of God. Diotrephes is acting wicked. Therefore, he has not even seen God. So we have to reckon with the fact that there are people like Diotrephes who attend church. Maybe they're not in the faith, but at least they're among the believers. These people are known by their deeds. So what, again, it requires us to do is watch and listen to people in relationship. It will help you. You will determine whose deeds are gospel-centered, whose deeds are evil, whose deeds are good, whose deeds are of the enemy. 
There is a responsibility, just as John said, of biblical leaders to call out abusive leadership. Verse 10, John says, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. Calling attention to abusive leadership may help save the leader, the one who's being abusive, if you call attention and try to get them to repent. But it certainly also protects the church. You have Diotrephes, who is almost the polar opposite of Gaius, who was sitting trying to wreak havoc. And then we finally meet Demetrius, who is this welcome stranger. And Demetrius' example teaches us that faithful service today can help provide gospel blessings in the future. Now, this is the one that is most interesting out of all four of these individuals, at least to me. Demetrius is a stranger to Gaius. He has a testimony of faithfulness. John has observed his past deeds of faithfulness and service, and he's found Demetrius to be faithful. So Demetrius comes into the church. He's commended by the apostolic leadership because he has been faithful in the past, and that faithfulness has been observed by others. He now has a greater opportunity for ministry in the future. And John desired that Gaius would extend hospitality to Demetrius. Now, Demetrius is most likely the one that when John wrote the letter, he folded it up or rolled it up, and he gave it to this good brother, Demetrius. And he said, Demetrius, I can't go right now, but I want you to carry this letter, and I want you to take it to Gaius at the church, which was most likely somewhere in western Turkey. I want you to go, and I want you to carry this letter to Gaius, who's part of uh, this church. So John, who is the leader is giving this letter to a faithful brother. Now, the faithful brother had to be willing uh, to serve, which he was. And he had to be willing to serve by going into unfamiliar territory. This is the need for the introduction that comes by way of the letter. And what you and I must realize it's the, is that there is sometimes when serving the Lord puts us in the middle of a mess. There are some times in our service to the Lord where John, who sees Demetrius, Demetrius, you are doing such a good work. You are a blessed brother. You have done a lot of good things. I need you to carry this letter, and I need you to take it over uh, to Gaius, and I want him to be able to read the letter. And all the while, John knowing that Demetrius is walking into a mess. He's walking into a mess where there's a man who set himself up as a leader, who's putting faithful people out of the church, and Demetrius is here supposed to go in and say, the apostolic leadership says that Gaius is supposed to be in control here, and Diotrephes isn't. Now, which one of you would volunteer for that job? Because I wouldn't volunteer for it. But you have a leader of the church who is willing to send another faithful leader into a mess. And faithful service to the Lord has to extend into times of great difficulty. Our world today is in a mess. Our world today is in a mess. Amen. 
and we can be on any kind of side that you want. And the one thing that everybody agrees on is that our world is in a mess. And so when we see that, what we have to realize and what we must understand is that there is an answer to the mess. There is an answer that can come in the midst of the mess and transform the circumstance. And that message is the church rising up, being the church, doing what the church does in the times of messes. I'm just heartened to see brothers and sisters in Ukraine that we see pictures of and they're gathered together. They're, do you see what that is? In the time of challenge, in the times of difficulty, what are they doing? They're not scattering, they're gathering together. They're serving, they're praying, they're interceding, they're asking God. And I can tell you this, I bet the denominational walls really don't make a big difference. When bombs are coming down and other things are happening all around you, a lot of the things that we say, this makes a difference to me. Why are the chairs blue? <laughs> when you're about to be blown up, nobody cares. And this is the great equalizer during times of persecution is that we get about the main thing. And what would it be today if you, and I'm including myself in this number, if we were just really, seriously, truly get about the main thing? Put ourselves on mission to see the gospel as what the gospel is, the answer to what ails the world. And as we preach the gospel, teach the gospel, send missionaries out, send evangelists out, plant churches, that we are giving an answer to a world that needs it. Amen. Yep, I'm loud because I'm passionate, because I believe the message that we have to do something. The days of just kind of sitting around wondering what's going to happen, and God's just going to lead this out. God's going to do what God's going to do. No, God's not going to do what God's going to do, because God has called the church to be an answer. He wants us to step up and to serve with faithfulness. And that faithfulness has got to extend to times of great difficulty. We must be a church. This church has to be a church where we will faithfully serve one another. We will welcome faithful brethren, even at great personal sacrifice, in order for Jesus to be exalted. See, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I will draw all people unto me. If I'm lifted up, if I'm exalted, Jesus says, then I'll draw people to me. So we, we have that mission, that purpose to together exalt, lift up, be like Jesus, serving one another, Amen. active, moving engaged. And you may say, well, Robert, what can I do? Pray about it. Pray about it. Look around. There's lots of things. There's lots of opportunities. We don't have to program everything. We don't have to have ministries for everything. There's opportunities all around to serve in the church, to serve brothers. But one of the things I will say to you is you have to be in relationship with other people. You have to have a relationship with people in this room. Know people, know their name, know what they like, know what they don't like. Go to their house, invite them to yours. It must be the case. Because in that, that we can truly begin 
to serve one another. <clears throat> and I say this, I'll close with this. In the early, look at pictures of the early churches that were built. This is how the early churches were built. The pulpits were off to the side. The communing with Christ was a central focus. Have you ever seen the old, like medieval before church buildings? What you often see is the steps up to the kind of gnarly pulpit sort of. When I say gnarly, I mean wood. That's not like a 70s term. Gnarly pulpit kind of going up and it's off to the side. Because the exhortation was not seen as a central focus of the worship service. I'm not saying it's bad, wrong, or indifferent. But what I will say, what was the central focus was what the church saw as coming together of brothers and sisters around the table of grace, communing with Jesus. That was the central focus Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday was brothers and sisters communing around the table of grace. This is why this was called the love feast. No. These are, as our brother says, symbolic elements these are symbolic elements that represent to us what Jesus did. And in obedience with the Lord's commands, the night before his death, we participate in this communion. But when Jesus and the 12 sat around, and they literally, they would have sat in whatever kind of table it was, or reclined back on pillows, when they sat around and they had the bread and they had the wine, those around the table knew one another. They had lived with one another. They had been through difficulty with one another. They had served one another. And the Lord himself did what? That very night, around this act, that for centuries the church has done over and over and over again, the Lord humbled himself. And he served. He served. And why did he serve? As an example. For you and for me. That we would do likewise. And in John 13, he says a very key statement. He says, Judas, so Judas is gone. The 11 with Jesus. Those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are True believers, those, not, the, not, the, not the, uh, uh, the betrayer, but the rest of everybody else is there. And that's when Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 13 that they will know you are believers. They're going to know you're believers by your love for one another. And he did not mean your love for one another, people out there somewhere, somebody on the street corner, that not, not love for those people, not that we don't show love or care, but the way they're going to know love is by the world will know, the world will know that we're followers of Jesus, this is Jesus' words, by our love for one another in this room. 
the love among believers, how we love one another. But what has the enemy done? How is the church characterized oftentimes in the public eye? That's why we have to change that perception with true gospel-centered service that's based out of gospel love. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, I pray that you help us today, that you help me today, God. Lord, you have called us to serve one another. You didn't come to be served. You came to serve. And so, Lord, one of the foundational principles of this church and should be for any church is service, serving others, primarily serving others in this room, caring, loving being concerned with, being in relationship with. I know we can't have deep, personal, lasting relationships with a ton of people. But we can have deep, personal, and lasting relationships with a small group of people. You did it with 12. 12 people who followed you, who walked with you. There were others around. There were others who came. But you focused on a few, building relationships. You focused even more intently on three. You kind of had a special relationship with a few out of that 12 even. And God, I pray that in this fellowship, you will help us to not just follow the dictates of our culture that sort of put on our Sunday morning face and our Sunday morning best and we go to church and inside we're dying and hurting. Things seem to be falling apart. We don't know how it's going to come back together and no one would know. And the enemy puts in our mind, what will they think? What will they say? Lord, focus our hearts to live for an audience of one. That we can be open. That we can truly know one another. That the world would know that we are your disciples by our love for one another. And our love for one another here at this church, in this room. We would love one another so much, God, that somehow, in some way, the outside world would know that we are your followers. Serving one another. Loving one another. An overflow of the gospel. That if a diatrophies steps into our fellowship, their work and deeds would be just so off and so, uh, so obvious that everyone would know. I'm going to invite two calls for prayer today. Two calls for prayer. Two calls 
for prayer today. One, if you are, it resonated with you, someone who's kind of hurting, but you haven't let anybody in. Nobody knows. I know that could be a big step, but I'm going to ask you to take that big step and just kind of step out. Step out to say, I'm hurting. And I need the body of Christ to serve me to hell. And so we'll, we'll pray, but we're not just going to pray. We're going we're gonna to ask some questions that will help us help. So if you're here this morning, you're hurting, you're hurting, you're hurting. This is the most safe place. This is, this is the safest place for you to be open about that hurt. It's the safest place. And I can guarantee, I will guarantee you if you take that step of boldness, that you will sense and feel and know the overwhelming love of God for you through the body of Christ. If that's you this morning, please come. Make a place of prayer. Those of you who are touched as people come, you come. Be God's love. Be God's love to others. Intercede and pray intercede and pray. You're here this morning. That's you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Allow the Lord's love to be shed. No one will be standing alone here. No one will be alone. This is an opportunity for you to begin to receive the healing grace of Jesus by allowing others to serve in your moment of need. Will you come this morning? Will you come? That's the first call. If you are wounded, I'm inviting you to come. The second call is a call to all of us. A call to all of us. We have to pray for our church to be a place of service. It doesn't happen by a bunch of programs or paperwork or agendas or strategic plans. It doesn't happen by that. Our church becomes a place of love and service and grace through a move of the Holy Spirit. God has to touch my heart. God has to touch your heart. This is who we must be, as simply people of service. We almost also must be people who discern the grace and the will of the Holy Spirit as He is working with people. That we have a discerning heart that even if someone doesn't say anything to us, that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to be able to speak words of grace and love to serve through the ministry of the Spirit to someone else. 
And so as a congregation, that's our responsibility to pray for that. So I would ask you to join with me in praying that we would be that type of church. please come. You need help, please come. If you're willing to stand in the gap and pray for the church, I'm asking you to step out as an act of affirmation to say, I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to intercede. I'm willing to be a vessel. I'm willing, I'm willing to be a Gaius. I'm willing to be a Demetrius. I'm willing to be someone who's willing to go where God calls me to go, do what God calls me to do. I want to be a Gaius. I want to be someone who's got testimony of faithfulness. Let's step out together. Let's pray. Let's intercede. Let's seek the Lord together that we would be that place. Thank you, Jesus.
Oh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much. Jesus, we just lift you up. We just exalt your name in this place, oh, Lord, that you would be glorified. God, we pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that you would move, oh, God. God, that you would help us to be willing vessels to be used by you for your glory. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you, God, for your grace today. Scripture tells us that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Some of you who are here this morning, you're at the front because either you've been wounded, sometimes it's not of your own doing, sometimes nothing to do with you. You've been wounded by someone else. You've been wounded by other circumstances. You've come because you said, I, I need some help. I want to be a little open. I want someone to intercede, to stand with me. If you've come here this morning and that is why you're in the front, make sure that you connect with someone who's praying with you. You exchange numbers. There's somehow that there's a connect back. That it's not simply just going back to your seat and walking away. That there is a connection if you're praying with that person. We need you to reach out, to be a conduit of blessing, to be willing to enter in, to be a Demetrius, to step in and to help. the testimony of God's faithfulness. Our sister this morning who's standing with me as we continue in a spirit of prayer. I had the opportunity to speak with her this week. And what she shared with me, I said, I would love for you to share with our congregation. I would love for you to be open, to be a little vulnerable, and to share with the people of our fellowship. And she said, I will, but give me some time. And this morning, when I walked to the door and I greeted her, we talked about it again. And she said, in a few weeks maybe, But God has touched your heart. And God has spoken. And I affirm, I affirm that God is leading her to share this word of testimony because I believe it will be an encouragement to you today.
I believe it will be an encouragement to you today. And so testimony is part of the body of Christ. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we do. And that's why this is so important for us today to hear God's work in our sister this morning. My mic is on. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to share something with you all that I went, now, now I'll probably cry, but that's okay. You can cry with me. You can cry with me. A few months ago, I went through a depression stage. I had lost my sister in January 220, and three, a month and a half later, I lost my husband that I took care of. He had all Thomas. We worked together in the ministry so much, and I had so much on me during that time because working with him side by side, and I just got to the point where all of this was on me, and I inherited a heating and air conditioning business, and it was just so much change over. You guys know what it is stressful to have a, a business. And so I had so much on me that I went into a depression stage. But I want to point out that I didn't quit praying. I didn't quit reading God's Word. The worst thing that you can do is to let down on God when you're going through something. You need to stay in the Word, and you still need to pray. And that's exactly what I did. I never talked to my two sons to know that I was in a depression stage. I never talked to my daughter-in-law. I did it all by myself and just stay in it. I don't advise you to not be like me. You know, I just felt like that I could take care of it myself and just give it to God. But during that time, you would feel like God is nowhere, but he's with us. He's with us through every trial that we go through with. And so I would come to church. I would obey the Lord. And if God had me to pray for people, I did that. And if I was to bring a message, I did that. But I still stay in connected with God. During this depression, I never felt like to backslide. And I definitely did not feel no suicide. I didn't feel that. But during this time, I knew that God was with me. But yet, it was hard. I would come to church and I don't know if you guys would notice, I would leave, and I didn't really connect with people because Satan would put things in your mind to make it look different or you think different. That's what he does. He works with your mind. But yet I knew that this church, these people love me, but I didn't feel connected to it. So I would leave and at nights, you know, I, w I got to the point where <clears throat> I felt that I had no fellowship here because I felt alone. I had worked with my husband for so long in the ministry that I felt alone, that I didn't have anybody. But I did. I had my family. I had this church family. But <clears throat> I would advise you not to go like what I did. I could have called Pastor Robert and Nicole or any minister in this church and tell them what I wanted was going through with, that I was in a depression stage, but I didn't do that. But, you know, you know, I advise y'all, if anybody has got any difficult problems, 
we do need to share it with one another, call somebody to have us to pray for us or whatever. But anyway, I never, I, I knew I would go to the office a little earlier and, you know, I would sit there and talk to my son, but I never told him anything that I was going through with. I could have talked to my daughter-in-law, but they never knew it because I put on a good front and I'm sure I did in this congregation. You know, sometimes we come in here with baggage and we don't share it out. We still carry it around. And so at night, I would come to church on Sunday nights and I would just leave. I would leave and not really fellowship, which was wrong. But I never would forget, Chris Chris came to me one night when I was leaving and I knew that it was God. He told me that, Joyce, I want you to know that you are connected to this church. I told him, I said, I don't feel connected to this church. He said, you are connected. The people look up to you. The young people love you. You are, you are, had got great expectation in this church. It encouraged me, but it got to the point where I still was in that depression stage. I didn't sleep at nights. Every time I would wake up, I get up and pray. And that was that was a blessing that I stayed in the word and I prayed. That's the worst thing you can do is when you have problems in your life, just to let down on God. But I felt that God was still working in me. He was still keeping, I would go to work, I'd be a happy person. But yet I was still in that depression stage. Hmm. And, you know, that's Satan's goal. He can try to destroy what God, you know, Satan knew that I wanted to work for him. And, you know, sometimes he sees the good things that we do, and he tries to hinder it, you know. But so one night I was up praying. Now, I might cry when I tell this. And... I get up and I would pray every night when I couldn't sleep. Sometimes I would get up and eat, and it was like 1.30 in the morning. And I was praying, and you know, sometimes we'll reach out and we'll pray for other people, but we don't pray for ourselves. And God wants us to pray for ourselves sometimes, you know? And so I start praying and praying, and God spoke to me. And he said, Joyce, pray for yourself. Start praying for yourself. And when I did, I cried so hard that I couldn't stop. I was crying so hard that I couldn't stop. That I just couldn't stop because God was ministering to me. He was getting me out of that depression. And so I prayed and I prayed and I cried and I cried. And finally, God spoke to me. And he said, you don't look to the left and you don't look to the right. But you look straight ahead to me. And that's what he wanted us to do. And when he told me that, I felt the depression leave me. Mm. And it left me. Amen. But you see, we can't we can't give up. And when 
Robert preached that. I, I was glad, and God dealt with me and said, now is the time. You need to get up and tell that, you know, and it is. So don't ever, I don't feel that I'm not connected here. I know that you guys love me, <laughs> and, and I'm willing to work in this church. But, you know, during that time, I would leave, and I would felt like, you don't belong in this church. You need to get out. But I didn't have no desire to go to any other church. Never. I didn't. And so I still kept coming and kept coming. And when I was coming to church, they would say, I don't know why you're going. But I still had that desire. Because, see, that was Satan. That was Satan trying to talk to me. But you know what? I'm going to tell you, God is so great. Whatever situation that you're going through with, I don't care what it is, God can deliver you from it. Amen. And you Amen. know what, young people? You know, Satan may be try to have things out there to offer you, but there's nothing out there so great that God can give you. You know that? Amen. And also, if you've got a ministry, if you've got a calling, show Satan what you can do for them, for him. You know, show Satan what you can do for God mm. because he would discourage you from it. You know, he shows the sin that looks sin good to your eyes, but he does not show the after effects of it. Mm. So I would encourage y'all. And, you know, I thought to myself that it was wrong that I didn't use any minister in the church that I could talk to. And I finally said to uh, Pastor Robert, and I told Nicole, I need to talk to you all. I just want to share this. But, you know, don't be like I was. <laughs> that hold it back and not share it to anybody. Because I made a statement when I was up at Whistler Stop. You know, if we're going through bitterness or going through something, we need to call somebody, pray with them. And I thought, gee, you ought to practice what you preach, you know. <laughs> so I just thank God that I'm free. I don't have no depression. But, see, it was so much on me, losing so much. And working, the one that I took care of, Curtis, and working through that the all times, all of that just built on me. But one thing about it, I never gave up on God, and I, and I thank God for it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. I did it. I did you it. did it. <laughs> you got the whole bell. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of the things I want to share with you from that, from that testimony, which I do think is so important uh, for us to hear and, and to know, is that uh, sharing with someone is a blessing. It is a blessing to have people you can share with. And it's also, we have to understand, Sister Joyce, she had children, a business. She'd been in the church uh, most of her life, all of her life, served in the church, sung to the Lord, praised to the Lord, encouraged others, but still walked through a valley. But God was faithful, and God will be faithful to you, and God will be faithful uh, to me, and we will see him and see the good things that he has done. Yes, Sister Debbie, sure. <laughs> Um, last Sunday when the pastor was preaching, God was showing me things. He was talking about the puzzle and how all the pieces fit together. And we as Christians and, and the body of Christ, we're, we each have a puzzle piece and we all fit together jointly. But then he showed me 
when we are connected together with the other pieces of the puzzle, we have strength. We're stronger that way. Mm. And so if we, I didn't know he's going to be preaching to me, <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't know God was showing me something. But when we're connected with one another in the body of Christ, even though it's hard sometimes to take that first step and say, I need help, you know, I, I'm struggling. If we connect with that body and that puzzle, then we'll have strength like we wouldn't have if we tried to I do know. it alone, know, you know? know. And then when I was praying, Sister Terry she said, I feel like God is saying we need to, like, wrap you around like a bundle, like a bundle. She, she said she felt like God wants me to have three people, you know, and, and to, that I can go to and pray with when things get hard for me. And that was like the confirmation of what God showed me oh. last Sunday Amen. with if we as Christians will connect with the other people, we'll have that strength we need to get through it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'd like to invite a few of you prayer warrior brethren. I want you to come here to the front, please. And we're going to we're going to dismiss uh, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for your grace today. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, God, for your kindness and love for us. Lord, I pray that you will help us today. I pray, God, for your grace, love, and mercy. Lord, I pray that we will be a place of openness and of healing. Lord Jesus, thank you for the healing testimony of uh, my sister this morning. Thank you, God, for the grace which you have shown us today. And so, Lord, we just stand uh, firm, Lord God, upon your promises. And we thank you, Lord, for the work which you are doing. And God, we ask you, Lord, for that healing grace to flow. So we love you, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you. Be with us tonight, Lord, as we gather at East High. I pray even right now, God, as we stand on that geography in the city, that the grace of the Holy Spirit would flow, Lord. The grace of the Holy Spirit would flow in Charlottesville tonight, Lord God. Please, Lord, meet us, Lord, tonight. Meet us, God. Lord, we pray that your presence would be there. We pray, oh God, that we would seek you, Lord, and that you would already be there, Lord. We would find you as we walk in the door, that your presence would just be there, oh God. Help us to see transformation in our city, Lord. We thank you for these things. Thank you for being with us today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Go in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ.